Amen. Good to see you here this morning, and that was a great special. I appreciate that so much, and uh, always enjoy the, the song service, and uh, like to be able to follow along here with the words. How about you? I always like that, and that's a, that's a, that's a big help. You know, I think it's also a big help when we, when we have our heads lifted up and we're singing out rather than having your head buried in a book. I mean, I love the hymn books, don't get me wrong, but uh, it is nice when we pick up our heads to sing, and I think it sure helps the sound and, and all of that to hear each other. It's just, uh, there's just something about that, you know? You ever been in a meeting like that where the room was full of people and you just, you know, sometimes we go a cappella and you can just hear people singing and how it blesses your heart, you know, and we appreciate that. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, that song service as much as I did. Those are some great songs, and, uh, well, all of them are good, really, uh, but just being able to, to sing those and, and reminisce and have God stir your heart, that's a beautiful thing. All right, if you have your bulletin, I just want to point out that Miss Kathy did get uh, our number in there updated, so at the top right-hand box there, um, that my number is printed in the bulletin. Somebody had asked me for it. And I just want to make sure that you know it's there. You can load it up and, and uh, in your phone, and so you'll have it if you need it. And uh, try to get in touch with us. So sometimes time is the challenge, right? If you don't, if you don't get me and you need to talk to me, then, then please leave a message and uh, make sure your name and number are clear so I can get back to you. Now, if you call me and you don't leave a message, I may not call you back. I probably won't, <laughs> okay? Uh, but if you leave a message, then I will. Uh, oftentimes I just feel like if, if somebody didn't leave a message, then I don't know if they're, you know, if I don't leave a message, it means I'm going to try them again. And I guess I tend to think other people think that way too, right? Great minds think alike. Isn't that how it works? And so uh, anyway, uh, leave a message if you need me to call you back, and I will be glad to do that. I also text, uh, not, very well, not as well as my kids, but I, <laughs> but I do text, so you're free to do that as well. You can send a text message, and uh, I can get back to you that way also. And uh, we are just glad to be here. It is a beautiful day. We've enjoyed our week just kind of getting through it, right? And uh, taking one day at a time, getting things done. And I hope your week's going well also. And uh, we uh, have enjoyed uh, being with you. And, and uh, Wednesday nights have been a, a special blessing also. Uh, just uh, spending some time in God's Word and praying together and uh, seeing God answer some prayers. That's good. And uh, so we want to keep up with that and keep the Lord uh, right in the centerpiece of what we're doing. And uh, so I'm trying to get settled and moving forward and just, just taking baby steps. Right now, my focus is just to kind of get settled in and to get to know you better. Uh, you know, I think our relationship is really the priority. And so that's we're just putting that first. I'm not trying to, I don't have an agenda yet. I'm not, I'm not really trying to cast any vision or anything like that. Not right now. First things first, right? We just want to get to know each other and let you get to know us and just kind of share our hearts with you and uh, see what God is going to do, isn't that right? And uh, so then as we move forward, you know, we'll, uh, we'll find out the, the mind of God on things, and, and you know, we'll begin uh, taking some baby steps forward. So just be patient and, uh, and just uh, relax, right? And let's just enjoy the Lord together. That's what we're going to do. So, uh, you know, just talking about little things. I haven't started sitting up here. Mainly because I just, I like seeing what's going on. I like to be able to read the words of the hymns. And I thought, man, I told my wife, I said, if I sit up here, uh, everybody's going to be looking at me and I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to see the words, you know, now I'm going to need a book. And so uh, I hadn't figured all that out yet. So I hope that's all right with you. We're just going to take a little time and kind of get comfortable and 
We'll figure it out eventually. I was talking to Brother Richard this morning about the order of service and how we like to do things. and So we're going to work all that out eventually. We'll make some little tweaks and little changes uh, as we go, and uh, we'll, we'll get it ironed out, get the wrinkles ironed out, right? So if you know of a wrinkle, let me know somewhere, and we'll, we'll see if we can help you with it. But in the meantime, we're, we're looking at a few, and uh, so we'll get all that worked out together. Amen? I like to work together. And so we'll just do that, and we'll, we'll, move, we'll move steady on as the Lord leads, all right? And uh, that's the way we'll do it. So glad you're here this morning, and we're looking forward to uh, now being encouraged from God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them together to the book of Judges. We're going to start there, and we are going to kind of tiptoe around. We'll turn to a few passages this morning. What I want to do is just share a thought with you, and then I want to show you that thought at different places in the Scripture. This is something that really is... is um, It's pertinent to the Christian life. I believe that this thought helps position us for God to use us. And so if you've been in church any length of time, if you've served the Lord, then you'd be interested in this because this will put you in the mindset that you need when God comes along and says, hey, I need you. All right? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So we're starting out in Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16, and we're just going to read one verse together, all right, and we'll pray first and then read, and then I'll let you be seated. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Judges chapter 16, let's look at this one verse together. Verse 30, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines, and he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And I want you to take notice of that last sentence. The Bible says concerning the life of Samson, So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for your word And we just ask you now to speak to our hearts from these passages of Scripture that we'll read. And and Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us and guide us today. We pray that you you would just speak to us, Lord, as we look at this truth. And Lord, I pray you just have us ready, Lord, as you need us, to reveal to us, Lord, how much you want to do in our lives and with our lives. We do thank you for the privilege of knowing you and also the privilege of serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As I read this, this verse, especially this last sentence, it's a little troubling to me. Perhaps it is to you. Maybe you've thought about it before. And so you know that the book of Judges, beginning in, the book, beginning in chapter 13, we're, we're dealing with the life of Samson. And you know that, that, that God gave Samson to Christian parents and, and God foretold of his birth, so that's a rarity. All right, There weren't many people in the Bible that an angel came and announced their birth. Samson was one of those. And he was going to be a special person that God was going to use to deliver Israel. And he was one of the, what, what's called in that day, in that time period, he was one of the judges. When I see Samson's life, I know that God had his hand on Samson. Samson was a Nazarite from birth. He had a special vow in his life. And because of that, God endowed him with great physical strength. 
As a matter of fact, those who looked upon him, you know, in the movies, they portray him as a big muscle-bound uh, man, you know, but in, in actuality, I, I don't believe that was the case at all. And the reason I know that was not the case, even though it, it makes for a good movie, is because when the Philistines looked at him, they did not know where his great strength came from. As a matter of fact, it was their quest to discover the source of Samson's great strength. And if you remember, they bribed Delilah. They put her up to the task to find out his secret. Where does he get this strength from? Now, if he was the big muscle-bound man that Hollywood would have us believe, well, they would have just assumed, well, he's strong because he's big. But that was not the case. Eventually, Samson revealed his secret. It, it tied back to his Nazarite vow. And, and Delilah was able to help him violate that vow, which he was already working on that. And she finalized that, that violation, which ended his strength and rendered him weak and vulnerable like any other man. Why did all that happen? Well, if you read all those chapters, it happened because God had a plan for Samson's life. And God wanted Samson to be the deliverer of Israel. But if you read the story, Samson seems to have no interest in that at all. Samson was busy doing his own thing. And so God had to keep making occasions come up, conflicts arising between him and the Philistines so that he could fight and deliver them. So he, he kind of became the deliverer by accident because God had to use them to get in his way so that he would so that he would conquer them in battle. Samson killed a lot of them. As a matter of fact, they came after him one time, and the Bible says with a, with a jawbone of a donkey, he, he killed a thousand Philistines. A thousand. But this verse says, after they captured him, and they put his eyes out, made him, made him blind, and they took him down to the, you know, to the stadium and made fun of him, After all of that, Samson was able to push those pillars apart and have the whole place collapse. And the Bible says here that he slew more in his death than he did in his life. Now, when I read that, I feel a lot of pity for Samson. Because when I read the story of Samson and the life of Samson, I don't know about you, but I see great potential there. As a matter of fact, I believe Samson could have been a much greater leader and deliverer of Israel than he was. I believe, I believe Samson could have been up there on the level with David and Solomon. I mean, if, if early on in the story, Samson had his heart right with God, and he was really serious about fulfilling the call of God on his life, and if he really went about looking for opportunities to do that, I believe Samson could have not only delivered Israel from the Philistines, but he probably could have became the next king. Now you might be thinking, how do you know that? Well, because that's what happened when Gideon helped them overthrow the Midianites. That, what did they say? Why don't you just be our leader, be our king? Don't you think they would have done that with Samson? Sure they would have. Samson had the opportunity for much more than he ever fulfilled. You know, I think that's probably true for most or all of us. Because if we never get serious about what God wants to do, then guess what? Then we never see the potential 
of what could be done, just like Samson. And I have this thought when I read this verse. God wants to do more than you think. That certainly was true in Samson's life. I want to ask you a question. Do you think that could be true in your life? Could it be that God wants to do you think? Wow, what a thought. Have you ever talked about someone like Samson that never lived up to their potential? And the person you were discussing this idea with, together with you could see that the individual you're reminiscing about had greater potential than what they ever tapped into? Reading after John Maxwell and some of his material, John Maxwell says the same thing. Most people have more potential than what they ever tap into. That's a problem. And it definitely is a problem for the child of God. Because God has called us to be children of light. We are the light and the salt of the earth. So it is a problem if you and I don't see the potential that we could tap into. If we don't realize the scale of the impact that our influence could have in this life for Jesus Christ. That's a problem. All of us at some time or another, we hear the news, we see things happen, we, we look around in society and we curse the darkness instead of shining the light. Why is the world the way it is? And why are times as dark as they seem? Maybe it's because you and I are not tapping into the potential of who we are in Christ Jesus. Maybe because our view is short. Maybe it's because we do not see that God wants to do more than you think with you. There are several examples of this in the Bible. I, I just made a list of a few. For time's sake, we'll not turn to all of these, but let me give you a couple of references to write down. How about this one? In, in 2 Chronicles 16.9, the Bible says that God runs to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. To show himself strong. Did, did not God show himself strong on Samson's behalf? Did not God show himself strong on Samuel's behalf and David and Solomon and Moses and whoever else you want to name? And would not God show himself strong on your behalf if you stepped up to the opportunity to serve him also? Here's another reference. Write this down. Psalm 78. It's kind of a long description. Verses 40 through 54. And you, you probably could read through the end of the chapter. I don't know. It really goes on. But, but these verse, verses specifically capture the time period when Israel was coming out of Egypt. And it talks about how that, that God didn't fall because of their unbelief. The Bible says in Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One of Israel. You know, the tragedy of that is really we don't know where and we don't really know how. And, and we may never know what could have been. When we look at what was, it is amazing to us. But could it be that God wanted to do even more than Israel was thinking? 
Wow. How about this one? Let's, let's turn to this one. Go to the book of Malachi. If you find Matthew and then go backwards in the Old Testament. <clears throat> let's look at Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, in verse 10, God is talking about, and this is Old Testament, he's talking to Israel, but he's talking about giving, and he's talking about tithing in particular. The practice of tithing goes all the way back to the days of Abraham. Tithing was not instituted during the law. It was reinforced during the law. But it was practiced all the way back to Abraham. Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek in the book of Genesis before the law was ever in existence. This, the reason that's true is because this has always been God's method of funding his work. It's still the method we practice today. God never abolished the tithe. You can't, that's not in the Bible. You can't find that anywhere. It's kind of like the Old Testament. God gave us the law. Jesus came to fulfill that, and then he added on top of that foundation, he added grace, and he added the, the covenant and the church age, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I came to build on top of that, right? So in the New Testament, we have grace giving, which, which we really call missions giving, all right? And guess what? That's on top of tithing. It doesn't do away with tithing and replace it. Some people teach that, but you can't find that in the Bible. Nowhere does it say that. So what we find is that God is teaching his, his people about funding his work and his house. And in verse 10, look what he says. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. All right, that's, that's the church house. That's, that's the term he uses. That there may be meat in mine house. So that the needs of the ministry, so the work of God can, can be funded and fulfilled. That there may be meat in my house. Now remember, under the Old Testament sacrificial system, it was literally meat. They were bringing the animals, and that fed all of the priests and Levites and all of the workers in the tabernacle. They were fed by the offerings of the people. Remember that? All right, they would take their portion. So look what he says here. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. He said, test me. Try me on this. Those are powerful words. He said, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, pour you out a blessing, watch this, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, hey, I want to ask you a question. You, do you believe the Bible? I don't, know, do you, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a big blessing. Could we just use the word huge right here? Huge. He said, I want to bless you so large that there won't be room enough to receive it. I don't know what you think of when you read that. I'm thinking about, you know, when they first started building the tabernacle and Moses first put the word out and he said, hey, I need you all to bring some stuff so we can build. You know, some of the skins and all of that. The people brought those things and gold and they brought all of the ingredients that Moses needed to build the tabernacle so the craftsmen could go to work converting that from, from its raw state to you know, what they needed to construct the tabernacle, which, which we would call the church in the wilderness. So Moses said, okay, we need y'all to bring this. 
So you want to call it the building fund or whatever, whatever you want to call it. They started giving those offerings. And after a little while, people got so excited about building the tabernacle, they brought so much stuff that Moses had to come back and say, no, 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 don't bring no more. We don't have nowhere to put all this stuff. Right? Now, I don't know about you. I've never heard a preacher get up during the offering time and say, we're, no, we're not taking an offering. We don't have nowhere to put all this money. You ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever heard a church say, well, we really don't have any needs? We've got everything we need to do everything God's called us to do. So, look, a church either lacks vision or they lack funds, but there's always something missing, right? Hey, the truth is, God doesn't want us to lack either. He wants us to have enough vision to know what to do and enough resource to do it. That's what he said, that there may be meat in my house. And he said, and I want to bless you in such a way that there would not be room enough to receive it. And so some years ago, I prayed about that and said, Lord, where is this that you promised? Where's this blessing that we couldn't receive because it would be so large? I've never seen that. Have you? You ever had those times when the Holy Spirit comes to sit by you in your study and says, well, maybe, maybe it's because we haven't given like he said. And you always have to go out, right? If God hasn't done his part, maybe it's because you haven't done your part. So there's always that time that we have to take in the mirror to say, have I really done what God wants me to do? You know, when I look back at the life of Samson, I have to say, you know, I don't know if he could see it in the mirror or not, but as we read his story, we see, looking at the sidelines, we see that, you know, he really didn't give his whole heart to the mission that God called his life to. I don't want that to be said about me, and I don't want that to be said about you. Could it be that God wants to do more than we think? I get excited when I read verse 10 because look at, look at what God wants to do. He said, I want to pour out this blessing. Hey, if you're a parent, you know exactly what that is. Hey, do you ever go all out for Christmas for your kids and get them some stuff? And I mean, listen, this was a big Christmas present, right? This was big. This is like, like getting your newly infant son a football. And they can't, it's going to be years before they can use that, right? But you get so excited, you give it to them anyway. First birthday, <laughs> whatever. Look, God gets excited and he wants to bless us and he wants to use us and he wants to do great things in the world. He wants to do great things in your life and God's saying, I got this blessing and I want to pour it out on you. You ever been so, hey, listen, have you ever been so excited on Christmas morning that you had to go wake up your kids because you were more excited about what they were going to get than they were? I think that's how God is. I think God's just looking and God's just like, man, I, you just don't know what I want to do with you. You just don't know how I want to bless you. You just don't know, right? And what we need to do is we need to kind of get this mind of the Lord about us and at least be willing, at least be ready for God to work. Don't you agree? 
Isn't that a great thought? God wants to do more than you think. What a big blessing. So let's look at another example. Look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I love this one. And, and often, you know, we could, we actually, we could just start with this one. This could be like the main text of the message, but all these are good examples. In Luke chapter 5, look at verse 3. We could read the first half, but look at verse 3. We'll cut it down to the essence here. It says, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. And so there was a lot of people that gathered on shore. Jesus was using that as an excuse to get into the boat. And as Simon pushed out just a little, it gave him a great platform and he taught the people from the boat. Okay? Great excuse to get in the boat and say, Hey, Simon, could we use, could we use your boat for this? But the Bible says, after verse 3, he taught the people. Verse 4 says, Now when he had left speaking... He said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. And I have to go, wait, 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 wait a minute. What was that sermon? What was that? What was that lesson about? He just taught the multitudes. There were so many people there, he had to get on the ship and back up a little bit, you know, so he could address them all. Do you know, in the inspiration of Scripture, Jesus just passed right over that. Because while he was teaching his disciples, it wasn't that lesson right there that he really wanted to teach them with. What he was doing here was he was really teaching his disciples not the content of that public address, but he was about to give them an object lesson to show them maybe God wants to do more than you think. Look what happened. He says, Simon, let's, let's launch out in the deep. Let's cast out the nets. In verse 5, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we will let down the net. Jesus said, let down your nets, plural. Well, that's at least two. Peter said... Okay, Lord, we're going to throw one out. We'll give you one. They throw out one net. The Bible says in verse 6, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Wow. Can you imagine? Peter's the fisherman. He's got the experience, the know-how, all of this stuff. They cast out their nets. They fished all night. They didn't catch anything. Now Jesus says, you know, the preacher says, Hey, let's throw the nets out again. And he's speaking from experience. That's not going to do any good. Hey, we've already been fishing. We fished all night. We didn't catch. Okay. Okay. So he says, we're going to throw a net out just to, just to satisfy you, just to show you. Okay. I know you're not a fisherman, so let me, let me just show you how this works. 
And as soon as the net hit the water, it began to fill up with fish. Wow. They didn't have Bass Tracker back in those days. But Jesus was God on earth. And he must have called a school of fish to swim right by that boat because it filled up their net. And this put that experienced fisherman into amazement. The Bible says he was astonished. They called their partners. The other boat, come help us. The other boat comes. And they begin to pull those fish in. They fill up both ships to the point of sinking. And then Peter realizes, man, what would have happened if we had dropped both nets? Maybe God wants to do more than you think. Wow. It so astonished Peter that he dropped to his knees and he said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know, that is one of the consequences of coming to know God because when you see who he is and all of his holiness and all of his righteousness, you begin to realize who you are and all of your sinfulness. And flesh is humiliated in the presence of spirit. You see, Peter was just thinking from the flesh. He was just thinking by his own experience. He wasn't thinking about God. He wasn't thinking about his power. He wasn't thinking about his omnipotence, his omniscience. He wasn't factoring any of that in. That's why the Bible tells us the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. Right? So who are we going to listen to? Our flesh or his spirit? Wow. I don't know what was going on in Peter's mind, but I'm just thinking if he, if he realized what could have happened with the nets being dropped, then it's no wonder he was so astonished because God wanted to do way more than what he was thinking. But that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. It's only a good thing if you're really surrendered to the Lord. It's only a good thing if you have spiritual interests. It's only a good thing if you love what God loves and if you want what he wants. Right? So in order for God to do more, there's a few things that have to happen. And this is where, this is where the hard part is. If we're going to be in that frame of mind that's ready to receive that more, whatever that is, the first thing is you just, you just have to believe. You have to be willing to believe in what God is about to do. Now, they didn't believe, and God did it anyway. And he can do it anyway, but he, he may not always. For example, the life of Samson. There's so much more potential for what Samson could have done and become. But he didn't cooperate with that because he didn't believe it himself. Isn't that right? The Bible says in the Psalms, I gave you the reference, Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One of Israel. Why? Because they just didn't believe. I don't want to get to heaven and find out what could have been 
if I had only believed God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, if you're in the habit of taking notes, you want to you write that verse down. Matthew 13, 58. You know what it says about the ministry of Jesus? It says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let me read that again. He said, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, sometimes unbelief stops up the channel and clogs up the way so that things that could be done will never be done. Because God turns away from that unbelief. This is what you and I have to work on. If we listen and lean on our flesh, we will be guilty also of unbelief. There will be times when we measure God's will by reality and we'll say, oh, it can't be done. Oh, really? Could Peter have said that in the boat? Oh, it can't be done. We're not going to catch any fish now. Hey, they're not biting right now. But they did. Could Samson have said, Lord, I could never deliver Israel. I'm not a soldier. I'm not a trained fighter. I don't even have a sword. And what am I going to do about these thousand soldiers that are after me? I can't defeat those. But he did with the jawbone of a donkey that he found out in the desert. You see, if he had measured reality, if he had measured the will of God by, by, by reality, what we call reality, he never would have done that. But he believed enough in, in what God gave him, the strength God gave him, that he picked it up and began to use it. You have to believe. Number two. You have to act on that belief. Somebody said, what is faith? Well, it's belief. It's also trust. Faith can be described in a lot of ways, but if you, if you really just want to get down to brass tacks, faith is the willingness to act on what you believe. Wednesday night, we talked about David using what he had to serve God. And what was in his, his hand anyway? It was just a sling. And he stepped out and faced Goliath with that thing. King Saul offered him his armor and his sword and all of this. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not comfortable with all that. I'm not trained in all that. And he put it off him, the Bible says. And went out there and got five stones because Goliath had some relatives. And he said, I'm going to use this. Why? Because God's given me victory before with this. I'm comfortable with this. But he believed enough to act on what he believed. And he stepped out there. He did what no one else would do. No one in the kingdom, not even Saul. He stepped out there and faced the giant with a little sling. You know why? Because he was willing to act on his belief. David met Goliath with that, with that act, action, that willingness to act. And so did the servants. In John chapter 2, we find a story of the wedding of the, at Cana. And, and they, they ran out of wine. And, and Mary said to Jesus, hey, hey. They run out of wine. She knew what he could do. And he said, no, no, shh. It's not time yet. My time has not come. So she turned to the servants. And she said, whatever he says, you do it. You do whatever he says. 
Now, in the, in the mind and life of a servant, what does that mean? Well, they shifted their attention right on Jesus, and they were standing there waiting, ready to act. And that willingness to act, I believe, is what brought Jesus from saying, no, it's not my time yet, to saying, fill up the water pots. And the Bible says they filled them to the brim. Not halfway, not three quarters. They filled them to the brim. If you don't know what that means, it means they couldn't put any more water in, in that container without it running over the edge. They filled it to the brim. If you filled up your coffee cup that much, you wouldn't be able to walk back to your desk. It would spill everywhere. They filled them to the brim. It was that willingness to act, I believe, that caused Jesus to perform this first miracle that he said, it's not time yet, I can't do this, but he did. I wonder what God would do in our lives if we were just willing to act on that belief. If we were willing to believe God and then act on it, what could he do? But then number three, I think this is really the key. This is the third and final point, but if I could only give you one point, it would be this one. Because you see, you have to be willing to envision the end result as if it's already happened. Look, we're sitting in a nice auditorium this morning. But I'm telling you, before anybody put a shovel in the dirt, somebody saw it completed in their mind. Isn't that right? Hey, we all carry around in our pocket. We, we've got these gadgets we call cell phones. Great technology. And it's wonderful when it works. <laughs> right? Until it says no service, then you're in trouble. Does it work? But before anyone ever held this in their hand, someone saw it completed in their mind. You know, I think the greatest hang-up sometimes among us as children of God is that we, we, we can't envision the end result already done. We can't see ourselves as a mature Christian. We can't see ourselves performing some act of service like witnessing to someone in the community or at work or in our neighborhood. And because we don't, we don't use our imagination, and that's really what it is, we don't use our imagination to see ourselves as David going out there to face Goliath. That's why we don't take the first step. That's why we don't, we don't ever pick up a stone. That's why we don't ever put the sling in our pocket. You'll never hand out a gospel tract until first you see yourself doing that in your mind. Does it make sense? In other words, you're not going to do something if you don't believe you can. Because in the natural way of thinking, you're going to say to yourself, why try? Why try if I can't do it? And this I can't mentality is killing Christianity. Because it's keeping power in the box the box where we put it 
We have to envision the end result already completed in our minds. Are you willing to do that? Because you see, if you don't do that, then you won't start with number one. You won't believe. And if you don't let yourself believe, then you're not going to act on that belief. You'll never step out on something that you don't believe. And you're never going to believe in something that you don't see with your mind's eye, with your heart, with hope and faith. And that's really what it's all about. In order for you to see the end result completed already in your mind, you have to have hope. What is hope? Hope is a belief that good is obtainable. And many of us have lost hope. We've lost hope because life's been hard. We've lost hope because maybe, maybe prayers have been unanswered. We've, we've lost hope because we, we haven't seen in other areas the fulfillment of our dream. And we've allowed that. We've listened to the devil because he's crawled up on our shoulder and whispered in our ear and said, what's the use? And we listen to that. Hey, look, we gotta, we gotta, we got to realize not everyone's a Samson. Not everyone's a David. God doesn't do the same thing in every situation all the time. There was only one fiery furnace and the three Hebrew children came out unscathed. There was only one lion's den that Daniel walked out of without hurt. God doesn't do the same thing all the time. We just have to accept that. And we have to let God be God who ultimately is going to make that decision. But we have to be at least like willing, like the three Hebrew children. They said, hey, we're not bowing before your statue. And he heated up the furnace. And they said, look, God's able to deliver us from that furnace. But if not, they actually said that. We believe, but hey, if he chooses not to do it, you know what they were saying? We're going to believe anyway. Even if God doesn't spare us from that, we're still believing in him. We're trusting in him. We're doing what he said instead of what you say because what you say contradicts what he said. You remember that? The apostle said in Acts, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's in essence what they were saying. We're still going to obey God rather than men even if he doesn't deliver us. Wow. You know, we have to get to that level where we're willing to let God be God but still believe in him whatever he chooses. you got to have hope. you got to have the belief that good is obtainable. It is obtainable. It can happen. It can be done. If God wants it done, he will make it happen. Not without you, but with you. God wanted Goliath to be defeated, but somebody had to step out there. So David said, I'll be the one. I mentioned imagination a moment ago. What is that? That is seeing in our mind's eye the end result before it actually happens or appears. Hey, we're the church of God in Jesus Christ. We are salt and lights to the world. Are we going to let Disney have more imagination than us? We serve God, the one and only true God, the living God. The all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God. Are we going to let them have more imagination than we do? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. 
Sometimes what we imagine can be the end result of our own making. I'll just leave that there. With all this in mind, my, my heart and my mind goes to the verse in Proverbs. And if you're writing the references down, it's Proverbs 29, 18. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Why do they perish? Because there's no vision. Because they don't see. They don't let themselves see. They don't practice seeing. Well, has anybody ever envisioned something that didn't come to pass? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we should stop seeing what God can do. It doesn't mean we should stop believing that God is able. It doesn't mean that we should stop being willing to be used of God in some of these situations. Because while we don't have all the answers, and we may not always know clearly the mind of God before we begin, it's still true that God wants to do more than you think, isn't it? Look around at our world today. And before you get defeated, before you get discouraged, before you stop believing that anything good is obtainable, ask yourself, does God want to do more than we think? You know, Joe Biden has caused a lot of damage in our country. His life looks like that of a non-believer for sure. And there's a lot of people saying sarcastically, of course, thanks, Biden. <laughs> like, thanks for those gas prices, you know. Well, we do that with every president. But this one is causing some great concern because of things like Afghanistan. It's really more important than gas prices. That's a serious blunder. That's human life. And there are so many things, right? But I've never heard anybody say, God save Joe Biden. Well, that's really what needs to happen, isn't it? I mean, he just needs a good old-fashioned dose of salvation. <laughs> Man, what would that do to the White House? I don't know, but I'd sure love to find out. Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, once in a while, won't you pray for that? Stick that in there. You never know. Could God do that? Absolutely. You think God wants that? What does the Bible say about when we pray things that are in the will of God? Pretty powerful promises along that line, aren't there? You see, it's just an example of an area where we need to see what God sees. And we need to know that God wants to do more than we think. So let's get involved in that. Let's start looking for opportunities to be part of that. 
Let's, let's tap into more of that potential that God's given to each and every one of us. So look around you. Look in your life. Look in the mirror and say, God, what do you want to do? Because I'm sure it's more than what you think. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for the good things that you've unfolded down through the years, the great testimonies and examples, Lord, that are included in your word. Lord, they all remind us of this great truth, Lord, that you have a mind and heart that's so much bigger, a plan that is so much better than ours, and you know our full potential, and you know exactly what you want to do with it. Lord, help us to be surrendered, to be, to be ready, to believe, and have the willingness to act on that belief. Give us a little bit of that vision that you have and help us to see at least that you're able in all things. Renew our hope, renew our faith, our trust and our willingness to act so that you can use us in every way intended. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.